As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to a Big Thing episode of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on this week's episode, we're talking, oh, Canada. The women's team won gold at the most recent Olympics. The men participated in their first ever World Cup last year. Things should be on the up and up. Times should be happy. And yet, things seem like they've never been worse. Lack of payment, lack of money, lack of happiness. Lots of things lacking with Canadian soccer at a time that they probably should not be. Here with me to talk it all out, what's gone wrong and where we go from here are Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. Hello. And Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hey there, E. <laughs> oh, I, I knew someone would do the accent. <laughs> oh, boy. Joe started us off, so let's stick with Joe for a moment. Joe, <laughs> uh, when we talk about uh, federations that don't seem like they fully know what they're doing, we often go in pretty hard on the U.S. Soccer Federation. Uh, I don't feel like we've spent as much time talking about Canada. We've talked about them a little bit in the past. Uh, I have a new appreciation for U.S. soccer because at least yep. things are not fully on fire uh, in, in, in U.S. soccer, whereas in Canada, as I said, things not great right now. It's like night and day. Mm -hmm. You know, if people have issues with U.S. soccer, that's fine if they have issues with the process that led U.S. Soccer to hiring Greg Berhalter, and yep. at least based on what's been communicated from U.S. Soccer Sporting Director Matt Crocker, some of those issues seem very fair. Uh, all of that is like a, a penny, and Canada's problems are like a billion dollars, which is a horrible <laughs> analogy given that they have no money. Like, that is, that's the biggest problem. I was in yeah. Las Vegas not long ago for the Nations League semifinal and final, and Canada lose to the U.S. in the final, and one of the main talking points, and Taylor, you and I talked about it a little bit after that game and on our, our review show, was John Herdman straight up just bringing up the fact that they don't have any money. He said, like, we, he said, this is a direct quote, we've got to figure this out financially in terms of, you know, getting a lack of prep and getting more prep for this group when they go out and have camps ahead of big national team games. He said, it's the preparation period. This costs a lot of money to get things put together for these windows. You don't get time to work with the players. There's no time. Like he he straight up just said, and I know this rubs some folks in the Canadian media the wrong way because it feels like maybe it's been excuse after excuse from Herdman and there's not real action taken in the time that they do have. 
But as an outsider, at least someone that's that's watched this team a lot and thinks they have a lot of talent, I, I do think that's fair. Like if you're coming in and the U.S. has not only been in Las Vegas training, but has had a full camp or, or a, at least a lengthy time period in L.A. as well before coming to Las Vegas and you've had you know a handful of days together, you're not going to be as well prepared to deal with these teams in the semifinal and the final. So uh, one other quote from that, from Herdman's press conference. He said, it's not a secret the organization, talking about Canada soccer and the Canadian Soccer Association, it's not a secret the organization has been suffering financially, even through the World Cup qualification, and your head coach is raising money to make sure we've got charter flights, security on those charter flights. They flew economy, just for context, after losing to the U.S. So, you know, that's not like some war crime, right? Like, it's fine to fly economy. But all of these things kind of add together, not having enough time in camps. And this is just the men's side. We'll talk about the women's side in a lot more detail later on. This is just fresh in my mind because I was just there. Like, these, all you add all these things together, having three days fewer in camp, flying this way, flying that way, when, you know, other teams in your region, specifically the U.S., is setting the standard for time in camp, for resources for players, you know, for uh, accommodations in Qatar, all of these things start to add up and you really, really end up looking like the second or third fiddle in this region. Yeah. Joe, I am sort of happy uh, that in that explanation, when you're talking about your time in Vegas, we didn't have the Canadian FA at the roulette wheel, just like putting it all on black and hoping this is how we fix everything. <laughs> please, please, uh, I, yeah. please. <laughs> okay, it landed on red. No more trading of jerseys, which is a thing that I read about <laughs> that apparently the team was not allowed to trade jerseys at the World Cup. Who knows if that's true or if that's just uh, discontent among the Canadian fandom. Graham, was this sort of all new to you, knowing that we've talked about it before, knowing we've talked about there being issues in Canada, Mm-hmm. I didn't really know how bad it had gotten. I think when last we spoke, it felt like a, oh, but they're, you know, they're turning things around. They're having meetings. People are being held accountable. And yet, I think months later, it feels like sort of a lot of the things are the same. So the first time that I was alerted to the this issue, really, or these issues was, Taylor, when you had, was it Steph Yang you had mm-hmm. on the show a few months ago to talk about um, the women's team and how these issues were, were affecting their preparations for the, the World Cup? This summer, that was the first time I was really alerted to this. Although, having said that, I do remember, because I'm a massive nerd, a massive kit nerd, I do remember researching why Canada were the only team at the yeah. 2022 World Cup not to have oh, new that's kits. That's a good one. That's and a the good reason one, was that they had signed this deal with, I didn't know the name of the company at the time, but we now know it, um, know, now know them to be called Canadian Soccer Business, which is a really confusing so, name. It sounds like a front. It sounds straight yeah, up like a front. Very much sounds I mean, like a front. To be fair, so does Soccer United Marketing, but Canadian yeah. Soccer Business sounds like somebody was asked the secret for their beer dealers. It's like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it sounded it sounded to me like somebody was asked their business on the fly and they just yeah. like looked around and were like Map Joel, of Canada you, soccer ball <laughs> a, a photo of business. Canada soccer you know business. It's like, it's like when uh, Mrs. Doubtfire has to come up with a name on yes. the fly on yes. the phone and yes. sees the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how that, that came about. Fire. Yeah, that's a bit uh, that's a bit thrown together for sure. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll go into more detail on on this deal which is essentially crippling um Canada soccer but earlier this week I think it's probably worth recapping why we're why we're doing this now and why it's this week's big thing so earlier this week Canada soccer general secretary uh, Jason DeVos said the federation may need to consider filing for bankruptcy protection that's how 
that's the, the the situation that they're in. This is a quote from him. From him, he says, "We are in a real struggle. It's not imminent, but we need to explore what bankruptcy entails and how it might affect our organisation." I would suggest not well. The effect would not be a good one there. We don't have enough revenue coming in for the programmes that need to be run, and that includes everything from grassroots coach education and referee development to youth national teams and our senior men's and women's teams. So as as Joe said at the top of the show that the issue is essentially that Canada's National Federation doesn't have any money. And a report by TSN, uh, a national broadcaster in Canada, they claimed that Canada soccer's cash reserves at this moment in time are 2.4 million Canadian dollars, or rather that was at the end of 2022, and that was down from 7.1 million Canadian dollars a year earlier. So the question then becomes... What has happened to the money? And that is a question that Canadian, the Canadian government has because it has ordered an audit into Canada soccer due to, quote, a lack of financial transparency. It's a story that's now of national concern and um, there's already been a parliamentary investigation. And it's, and it's understandable that that concern is there because you have two national teams in the men's and women's side that seem to be on an upward trajectory and you have a, a domestic league that, yes, is still relatively new but is, from what I can tell, growing season on season. And Canadian soccer should really be in a good position but the National Federation seems to be compromising this and there is a lot for Canadian soccer to lose from this. They should be in a position of strength. Yeah, and t- two things quickly off of what, Graham, you said there, which was all great. Um, the first is that DeVos quote that you read I also had in my notes. He goes on later to say something about uh, like how it's been discussed, but it's not a strategy, but he's going to learn about it just in case. Like, um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do a little reading just just to see like what I learn and maybe like how we could, could use that. <laughs> yeah. So that some of the quotes there. Even I'm just, after I'm just what learning read. how to build coffins, just, you know, just in case, just in case I need to like, have. <laughs> I'm that not skill even going to use it, guys. I'm not even going. to. It's more of like a personal curiosity. Um, thanks for asking about me and my life. That's one part. You mentioned the Nike bit as well, Graham, and the lack of World Cup, new World Cup kits for Canada. Uh, I'd read, and there was a fantastic article from Joshua Cloak in the Athletic about a, a lot of the inner workings of some things that we'll talk about later on. I would recommend if people are interested in this, they should go check that out on the Athletic. You'll find it using all the the buzzwords from this show. Like, there's a there's a bit in there. So Canada had had you know gotten basically this deal arranged with Canada Soccer Business. We'll talk more about that later, and and they basically told CSB, hey, we only want to partner with Nike. And actually, like, we want to do the deal ourselves for our our kit manufacturer and apparel sponsors. And apparently, CSB had already sent out emails and had interest. But Canada Soccer said, no, we we only want to partner with Nike. And everybody knew that. And so they lost all of their leverage in that negotiation and got way less out of that deal than they could have. Like, it's it's mind-boggling. I think I sent this in the Slack. Like, this is mind-blowing stuff as you go through and read and listen and learn more about what ha- what has happened to Canadian soccer and what's happening to the association there. Like, the incompetence and the mismanagement all the way across the board is is truly shocking. Joe, I did not read that article. Uh, why were they so just fixated on Nike? Why, why not anybody else? I mean, Taylor, come on. You, you got you got a brand loyalty? I mean, I I, uh, I know you're a big liquid death guy. You're not going to just go out there and start drinking other waters and this cans, is, are you? This is, yeah, this is like if Ryan had to strike an official coffee partner deal. Uh, and uh, Yeah, there was, there's only one company he wants to partner yeah, you're with. You're not going to get Ryan pretending yeah. that he likes Dunkin'. Yeah, it's just gonna not going to happen. Right? Dunkin' Donuts and Tim Hortons offering him $2 billion, and Ryan Pass. is like, no, nah, I'll take 20 bucks for that Starbucks. It, it is, it's unclear, though. Like, there's so many things, so many actions here from Canada Soccer 
where it is totally unclear as to why that why they're doing what they're doing. And maybe we'll learn more. Like maybe the audit will reveal, you know, corruption or or you know larger things outside of just incompetence, which is I think largely where things stand now. It is, so many business practices here have been just broken right in half. All right, I want to talk about the lack of funding. Let's take a very quick break, and then we'll come back to get into the meat of the issue as I understand it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back. We have been discussing the general uh, situation in Canada and Canadian soccer. Graham, let's talk about the main part of this issue. Where has the money gone? Why is there no money? Uh, There is funding from the government. There's funding coming in from sponsorships to some extent. Uh, They are spending money on their national teams, uh, the men's more so than the women's. Uh, But we still find ourselves, or Canada finds itself in a situation where there is very limited resources, as we've already discussed. Why is this the case? And why does the deal with Canadian soccer business factor prominently into this explanation? So that so this deal is at the root of everything yeah. that Canada Soccer is experiencing and suffering from right now. Um, so Canada Soccer struck uh, a deal with um, CBS, with Canadian Soccer Business, back in, I believe, 2018. Certainly C- CSB was founded in 2018. And it is a company that is co-owned by club owners in the Canadian Premier League. So that's the domestic league in Canada that was started in 2017. And um, essentially this deal that they struck with Canada Soccer means that CSB is responsible for selling all corporate partnerships for the Canadian men's and women's national teams for each CPL, for each uh, Canadian Premier League club, and the Canadian Championship as well, the the domestic cup. And CSB, from the reporting that I I could find between TSN and The Athletic, they reportedly pay Canada Soccer between three and four million Canadian dollars every year. And it's a 10-year deal with an option of another 10 years on top of that. So it could be 20 years of commercial revenue that we're talking about here that, that, that Canada Soccer has, has siphoned off to this third party. I personally don't know whether Canada Soccer needs to trigger that 10-year extension, whether they have any control over that or whether that is down to, to CSB. And maybe that is something That's that my understanding. Come- That's my understanding. Yep. So that so Canada Soccer has control over that decision, do they? No, the other no, way around. Oh, CSB man. has control on that ten-year option. Jeez, oh right, okay. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's even worse. Um, yeah, so it doesn't matter what money comes in through the commercial deals that are struck. Canada Soccer receives the same amount every year, or I should say, it's an incremental growth year on year. But generally speaking, it is the, the same amount. 
And that doesn't seem ideal for a country that has won gold at the Tokyo Olympics and qualified for a men's World Cup since this this deal was struck. And since CSB agreed that deal back in 2018 with Canada Soccer, they have struck deals with Carlsberg and TikTok and Gatorade and GE appliances on multi-year deals. So it stands to reason that CSB are doing pretty well out of Mm -hmm. this deal. Canada Soccer, not so much. Yeah, and when you look at uh, Canada Soccer for a second, they spent... Uh, around, I believe, 54 million last year, brought in only about 48 million. Uh, of that, some 19 million going to the men's teams, 14 million going to the women's teams. Uh, so you've got 34 or so uh, spent on the men's and women's national teams. And that deal, as you said, Graham, if we go with the higher number of 4 million a year, times 20, that's 80. So, like, they've already, like, so right now you see how over 20 years they're going to make 80 yeah. million and they spent 34 last year on their national teams. Suddenly, suddenly we're seeing some problems here with the way the money is being allocated or the lack of money coming in. So one thing we should clarify is it's not uncommon for national federations to strike deals like Mm -hmm. this with third-party companies to handle their commercial operations. Of course, um, US Soccer had something similar with uh, Soccer United Marketing, with SUM. I believe in the UK, all the home nations are handled by the, the same company as well. That's how you end up with... EE sponsoring England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland all at, all at once. It's the same company that, that handles that. The issue for Canada Soccer seems to be that they have been lowballed by the company that, that, that they have struck the deal with. It's not necessarily that they have a deal in place. Right. I have seen some criticism of why can't they handle this in, in-house. And there are some federations that, that do that. They will hire out staff to handle commercial operations. That is not uncommon in international soccer or, or in the soccer world in general. It's the money. It's the deal that they have struck that's the problem. Yeah, because I think going further with that, I agree with you. Uh, it's not necessarily that they have this sort of agreement in place. It's the nature of the agreement, and it's how that agreement came to be. Uh, From my reading, uh, plenty of people speaking off the record, I think because they don't want to be immediately fired for talking about this deal, pointing out that board members not fully consulted. People thought they would have board positions that didn't end up having board positions when it came time to make this decision to vote in favor of the agreement. And I think uh, plenty of people now saying, maybe then saying, that they were uh, advocating for revenue sharing or a, a greater distribution of the actual sponsorships, de- sponsorship deals struck, and that it ended up just being this fixed amount is where a lot of the consternation lies. If you have it as we split 50-50, the sponsorship deals, then there is that uh, it basically incentivizes the company doing the selling, selling the sponsorships, making those agreements to continue to do it because they're making more. Uh, and then for Canadian soccer, you're seeing the benefits thereof. I've also seen a, a, a consistent refrain both from uh, Canadian soccer executives and from people who are more okay with the deal that this was a fair deal when Canada was bad at soccer. That if you didn't really have the guarantees of money coming in or you didn't have yep. the guarantees of success, then this deal makes more sense. I have seen that argument. I still don't even fully agree with it just because, Graham, you said like it goes up incrementally. I've noted that very few people actually go into the specifics of that deal, and that feels to me like corporate speak for it goes up to a maximum of like 4.1 million a year. Like, like it doesn't really adjust for inflation all that much. So to me, it does feel like there were, uh, to some extent, other other issues at play here. And I think that it's the 
that what the owners of the Canadian Premier League are also the people who are the deciding members of the CSB. That there is you immediately sort of muddy the waters by well, where is the money going and what is the purpose of this deal? Yeah, so I, I think you're absolutely spot on there, Taylor. Like the incremental increases in mm-hmm. this deal are are tiny, right? And and they they may not even adjust for inflation by the time you get to the end of the life, at least of the first ten years, and and who knows what happens after. We should note. There's been some talk from CSB, Canadian soccer business, about being willing to renegotiate this deal as it's become increasingly yeah. obvious yeah. that it is not <laughs> a good one for Canada soccer. And and like to be to be honest, like CSB has it will benefit CSB for Canadian soccer to be better, right? And for the national teams to be better. They are a little bit of background on CSB. They launched in 2018, their own Taylor, you just said it, by the owners of each team in the Canadian Premier League, which started play back in 2019, launched in 2017. This is a company that represents commercial assets and inventories for big soccer properties in Canada. So that includes selling partnerships for CPL clubs, Canadian Premier League clubs, the Canadian Championship, which is like their their U.S. Open Cup, basically, and or at least kind of like that, and Canada's national teams. So it will benefit CSB for Canada to be better at soccer all the way across the board. So maybe we'll see some renegotiation happening here on this deal. Still, setting that aside for a minute, I wanted to get into a little bit more of the context around this deal and like some of the parts that blew my mind about it and that a lot of it centers around timing. And Taylor, you you got us there. Like Back in 2018, so right as CSB was founded, they reached the deal with Canada Soccer. And, And even before that, back, you know, 2017, maybe a little earlier than that, Victor Montagliani, who is now the, the head of CONCACAF and was before the president of Canada Soccer. He chatted with a guy named Scott Mitchell, who was the chairman of CSB and the CEO of Forge FC in the Canadian Premier League. They sort of like, you know, talked a bit about this. Eventually, Montagliani's successor comes in and, you know, they kind of continue similar discussions. Canada Soccer vice president Nick Bontis continues some of these negotiations. A uh, fun fact, he became the Canadian soccer president, but then resigned under pressure and scrutiny earlier this year, that was back in February, Uh, another fascinating twist and turn in this whole saga. Like CSB's pitch essentially was, and Taylor, you talked a bit about this, was that Canada had done a bad job in the past. Like Canada, both on the soccer side, had not been like a a real player, certainly on the men's side. On the women's side, it is a different story. On the men's side, they hadn't been to a World Cup in 30 years before this past time around, 1986. Like they weren't super relevant and they hadn't done a good job of generating a lot of revenue with their past deals. As far as I understand it, they'd worked with IMG, who does a, a, a it's a big company that does a lot of work in the sports and entertainment field. And basically, CSB, some people say that CSB came in and said, hey, we'll give you three times what IMG was giving you, which tells you what IMG was giving them before. That has been, I should note, disputed. Yeah, that, IMG that like, idea. nuh-uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's been disputed by a lot of folks, including members of Canada Soccer's board. So yeah. like, there, there's still a lot of haze around that stuff. But basically, Canada had not been highly marketed or, or hadn't really taken advantage of you know what little assets they did have. And when it comes time to negotiate a new deal, when a new opportunity arises, executives inside of Canada Soccer, board members, they, they couldn't see the bigger picture. And I know this is easier to do in hindsight when Alfonso Davies is a legitimate global superstar and Jonathan David's about to move to Manchester United for 70, whatever, right? It's easier in hindsight once all this has happened and the trajectory is very clearly on the way up. But people that were paying attention back five years ago should have been able to tell yeah. that things were going up and that things were going to stay competitive and promising on the women's side. There's an anecdote in that Joshua Cloak article. He cites... This, uh, this example of a former board member saying in 2017 
that Canada's best soccer player on yeah. the men's side was only 17 years old. And Cloak writes in that article that those board members didn't even immediately know who that board member was talking about. Like they didn't connect the dots that that was Alfonso Davies. Like they were so out of touch with what was going on in their own soccer development landscape. They were so out of touch with what was going on. Davies was already, I believe at that time, in Germany. Like, or, or at the very least, he had been exceptional in Major League Soccer and was clearly a rising star. And these people didn't put the dots together. Like the, the timing of all this, when you have your best young player ever rising, and it's clear that there's more talent getting ready to join him in the youth space. Like for them to go out and say, hey, we weren't getting a lot from IMG before. We weren't making a lot of money on our sponsors. Let's lock ourselves into a deal this long at this juncture is absolutely mind boggling yeah. to me. And that is one of the most damaging things for me. And it's a little bit of, of an intangible, but nonetheless, the message that Canada Soccer sent to their own national teams by striking that deal was, we don't believe in you. We don't believe you're going to win a, a gold medal. We don't believe you're going to qualify for, for a men's World Cup. They took the guaranteed cash over 10, possibly 20 years. I can't quite get my head around that they have potentially struck a deal for the next 20 years. Like, think about how how the commercial landscape shifts in five years, never mind 10, 20 years, for them to strike that deal, it's, 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 just, it's just very damaging in, in terms of how Canada soccer sees their own program. Yeah, we'd have DVD sponsorships all over the place if, if we were going back 20 years, I think. You'll hear about Blu-ray? Dude, that stuff is cool, man. Many disc players, they're going to be huge. People are talking about them. People are talking Oh, Circuit City, way to back the wrong horse. Uh, and yet, Joe, the the 17-year-old uh, point there, when I first read that, uh, I, I was sort of like, ah, eh, you know, it's like one executive saying, like, ah, our best player is 17, and nobody being quite on board or quite aware of who they were talking about right away. But within the context of this story, you then see it as a person being like, no, but guys, our best player is 17, like, the future's looking bright. That person's going to be 37, still maybe playing when this deal expires. And suddenly it does give you more context of there is that just the, the move for the, the easy cash, the guaranteed amount. And that's something we've seen, say, MLS do when it comes to with the new Apple agreement. The difference there being that the amount of money that you can immediately say we are bringing in from this deal eclipses some of that criticism of, well, what happens if things change? Four million or three million, depending on who you ask, is not going to do that. Three million a year is not going to to sort of cover all the books as we have seen, and thus why you have Canada Soccer in the position it's in. And they are still getting money from other places. Uh, the federal government gave them five million dollars uh, Canadian dollars uh, in the fiscal year ending in December of 2022, which is why there has been, or at least partially, why there's been so much government involvement in this deal and requests for the books, which I think are now forthcoming after Canada Soccer was maybe less inclined to give up their books and sort of show where the money is going. And I wasn't able to find anything. Maybe you all were that directly says like. Canada Soccer Business is taking the money made off these sponsorships and putting it into the uh, Canadian Premier League. Uh, I don't believe that would be allowed, but I think when you have the owners of those teams representing this group or this this business entity, such as it's named, uh, there are going to be those questions asked when the deal is unfavorable. And that, to me, feels like another self-own, that you're, you're putting yourself in a position of not having the money you need to finance your teams, especially your, your women's team, which has been so successful for so long. But then, obviously, your, your very strong men's team that continues to get better. Uh, and, and it just feels like it's, it's continuous 
unforced errors uh, from Canada soccer. Uh, Graham, any any other points on the financial side of things, at least at this point? No, just a, a quick beat on what you were saying mm. there. I don't think it's an ideal situation to have your domestic league essentially plundering your national federation. <laughs> it's not. It's not, not really so what you want. You want those two things to be on the. Uh, to be on the same page, and and from what I I read the reporting around this, it seems like um, CSB Canadian Soccer Business was established in the first place to provide funds to the Canadian Premier League clubs or the league as a whole. Now I, I don't have any information, and I haven't seen any information that that actually says the funds have gone into the clubs and into the league that they're basically siphoning from Canada Soccer. But that level of politicking makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. And I, I just can't envisage how that was ever going to be a healthy environment for Canadian soccer. I could understand it from the perspective of we're hosting in 2026, like FIFA is going to require us to have our own domestic league. I And I've seen that uh, said time and time again. I don't know if MLS would have been a sort of way that they could have justified that when you have Canadian teams uh, participating in that competition. But either way, if you want to say we need to have our own domestic league, we want to grow soccer, and we need financial investment from a variety of sources, I, I could even get behind that. If you are saying that a domestic league makes your national team better in the long run, that makes sense to me. But then reading more about the the Canadian Premier League, and I want to hold my hand up and say, I am not an expert on this. I have done the reading for this episode. So if there are people who are very passionately behind the Canadian Premier League, they will know more and they are worth following and learning from. But to me, it doesn't feel like there have been the steps made to guarantee the longevity of that league and guarantee that it is sort of doing what you need it to do to help uh, fund the league and the national team long term, that the permanent infrastructure is lacking, the training facilities are lacking. I, I think the way they've gone about making the league function and you have teams folding or a team folding, and that happened in MLS as well. You had two teams contract in 1998. That isn't necessarily a sign of like that things have gone completely off the rails but it does not feel to me like you have this league that is slowly building steam and getting better and better. And so there is that trade-off of, yes, we don't have as much money with the National Federation as we would like, but that's because we are making this other thing grow such that we will be able to make money long-term. It doesn't seem like that sort of organic growth is happening to justify that deal again. I'm not sure that that it is happening. I think it might be, though, and okay. at least according to what I found. So I mentioned earlier... Founded, the Canadian Premier League founded in 2017, first season in 2019. Eight teams, that's what they have now. Taylor, you mentioned a club leaving the league. That absolutely did happen. They added another ahead of 2023 to keep it at eight teams. I think a lot of things seem to be moving in a more positive direction, though, even beyond that. So ahead of 2026, the league has talked about wanting to have 12 teams in the league. So that would mean you know pretty rapid expansion between now and then. We'll see if that ends up happening or not. They're very much still trying to find their footing. Don't get me wrong. Like clubs are averaging between one and six thousand fans per game. They're not playing in these giant venues. At least not not all of them. The minimum player salary is like twenty two thousand U S dollars. I did the conversions just to just help people out. I think that's thirty thousand Canadian dollars. Twenty two thousand U S dollars. Their salary cap per team is about eight hundred fifty thousand U S dollars. But both of those are new highs. Like, those are recently increased. So, I don't know. I, I am cautiously optimistic about the Canadian Premier League's growth. And I do think that it, it is a necessary thing 
Well, I, I'm not the only one who thinks this. FIFA thinks this, right? If, if you're going to host a World Cup, you have to have a league. But even beyond that stuff, it winks at 94 in American soccer. Um, I think generally, though, it's a good idea to invest in this league. And I think the concept behind Canada soccer business, the organization, is a good one. Like mm-hmm. owners very early on, prospective owners realize that if we're going to get this thing off the ground, we need money. Like we, we need a lot of money. This is a long-term play. And one way to go about doing that in the soccer space is is to get involved in other properties around Canadian soccer. So I, I don't know. I don't cast a lot of blame, frankly. And maybe there's a, a lot here that I don't know. I'm sure that there is and a lot that's not public. That, I don't put yeah. I don't put a lot of blame based off what we know on Canada soccer business, like the organization Canada soccer. It, it wasn't it wasn't CSB's responsibility necessarily to go and dive super deep into the future of Canadian soccer and to predict that they were yeah. going to explode. I think, you know, you could have seen that coming and maybe CSB could have done a little bit more there. But from a business perspective, I'm not yeah. I'm not really sure why you would, right? Yeah, from a business perspective, this this does seem like maybe a good deal for them. Now, you can question how much that deal is worth if the, the agreement is with a flaming pile of ashes a few years from now. And maybe that is why they're open to renegotiation yeah. as yeah. they are seeing that coming down the line and thinking, hmm, right, OK, maybe we do need to open this agreement up again. But you're right, Joe, uh, CSB, that's not it's not their duty to think of what is best for Canadian soccer. That is the National Federation's sole purpose. That is why they are there. It seems like the blame is very much on their side. Yeah, and I think that's where, Joe, like some of the lack of transparency becomes my frustration. Because uh, so, so much that has been said from CSB, from the Canadian Federation, it all feels like the opening arguments of a like poorly thought out college thesis where if you start to really be like, well, why do you say that? Where did that come from? What do you mean? You're going to get a lot of, uh, cause that's what the internet said. I found it on Wikipedia. Like so, so much of these FIFA requires us to have our own domestic league. Okay. We'll just participating in major league soccer count. Also. Yeah. As you said, United States didn't have that in 94. It was on the way. So that MLS started in 96, but there are obviously, uh, loopholes and exceptions. The biggest one being that, MLS was never going to be pro-rel. FIFA in their bylaws have it be like you have to have pro-rel. And then they add in, well, unless you don't. And then there's other considerations that we can take into account. Like they changed the rules so that the U.S. could host the World Cup. The idea that there's no way to get around these these things that FIFA has put in place where FIFA has shown time and time again that if you are going to make money, which the 2026 World Cup will, they are happy to work with you. It just seems like there's a lot of flimsy arguments in place. And I think that has been, for me at least, the source of some frustration in reading about this. Certainly from a Canadian government perspective, Sport Minister Pascal Saint-Ange, I apologize if I butchered that one, sent Canada Soccer a letter informing them that Canada Soccer must undergo a financial audit and government uh, re- governance review, must accept advice from an external advisory group in order to continue receiving federal funding. Here's the quote. Canadians expect to see greater transparency with respect to how Canada Soccer is allocating funds between its men's and women's programs, including the negotiating of business contracts and the broadcasting agreements. It feels like that has been the biggest concern for fans of Canadian soccer is is not just where is the money going, but why isn't there more money? What are these deals being struck? The GE one, for example, it, it's this multi-year deal that's supposed to bring in a lot of money. 
the initial reading that I could find was GE donating $100,000 to the women's team to help them with their preparations. I don't know if that's the deal that CSB struck or if it's that's attached to the larger deal, but there just doesn't seem to be a ton of information about what's coming in, where it's going, and how this is all functioning. And that, if even if there is no conspiracy, even if there is no malfeasance or anything like it, when you aren't sort of making these things clear and it isn't functioning the way it seems like it should, you open yourselves up to these like, well, is it going to the league? Is it being put in people's pockets? Like uh, uh, the, the people in charge have now stepped down and it's all going to be better, except now they're all working for CONCACAF under Montaliani. And it just you start opening yourselves up to these lines of question that I think. Uh, lead to pretty negative spaces. On that note, uh, I'm going to towel off for a moment. Uh, we'll take a quick <laughs> break, and then we'll come back to round this out with uh, a bit more information about where we are and where we go from here. Back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. I am calm once again for now. We'll, we'll see. This is what's always the risk when, when we talk about big thing episodes that involve money and giant organizations. Uh, if I'm hosting, I might also get ratcheted up in the intensity. Let's bring it back down because yeah. everything's better now, right, Graham? Yeah, in the break, Taylor was going, hold me back, hold me back. <laughs> Just fighting Where are those ma- Canadians? I found a belief. I was punching it. It was a whole thing. <laughs> it, it felt symbolic, but maybe ultimately like it was not going to have a big impact. Uh, and we need, I think, there to be a big impact for, for Canadian soccer because we have the women's team preparing to participate in a World Cup. Uh, at least they will be playing in it. We we assume they will be able to get there uh, if there is uh, the money around. But it is a pretty bleak picture uh, for the women's national team. They testified in front of uh, the government in March, I believe, um, pointing out that they have not been they had not been paid for 2022. I believe that has since been there's been some compensation uh, coming through, but they didn't have a deal on that compensation at the time. Uh, they basically expected to have equal preparation time and funding to the men's team for their World Cup. They have not. They have uh, don't have a home game scheduled before the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, uh, so they basically don't get any sort of preparatory windows in place. Uh, the number of players and staff invited to camp has been cut. Funding for youth programs has been cut. So you're, you have your, I, w- I would say, one of the most, like, dominant premier national teams in the world uh, not having the funding and backing it needs to be able to p- compete at that level. It's a pretty bleak picture for uh, the women's team. The men's team went on strike uh, or was close to striking uh, and uh, that you had to have the two games canceled, which cost Canada soccer a good chunk of money as well, which I think they were counting on. So you have the national teams themselves pretty frustrated by the situation. Graham, uh, is that a fair run through of of the kind of major grievances or are there other things that we should include in there as well? 
No, I think that's a fair run through, and I think on the on the women's the women's uh, team side of things, this issue is particularly pertinent because, as you mentioned, Taylor, they have a World Cup campaign starting in two weeks, and in the background of their preparations, um, I say preparations as you kind of outlined there, there haven't really been any preparations. Their last game was in April, a match, a friendly match against. France, so that isn't ideal that they're going into a World Cup cold and haven't really had any uh, any match practice. In the background, there's been this collective bargaining agreement negotiation. So the last that we'd heard, um, so actually Jason DeVos said on Tuesday in the press conference that Canada Soccer had put forward a final offer to the men's and women's team. Uh, teams. So we'll see what happens with that. And Christian Sinclair has said that the team wants a deal before the World Cup starts, which is understandable given that you don't want this lingering while the tournament is happening. They did strike a interim collective bargaining agreement in, in March, um, but that was essentially put in place so that the national teams could continue to play and obviously the the women's team um, as I say have a World Cup coming up um, this summer the men's team have had the the Nations League and and are now participating in the Gold Cup as well so as I read it that interim agreement was there were some benefits they did the the women's team did get some extra budget to actually get to the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand and for some of their travel schedule as well there was some more money freed up and also some of that compensation that they were they were owed so some things did come from that agreement but my reading of it was that it was essentially a good faith agreement between the two parties to get back on the pitch um, and find a more solid agreement further down the line but we haven't we haven't had that that full agreement yet yeah and and players on both the men's and women's side have have talked about and there's a sentiment among a lot of the players that this deal between Canada soccer and CSB it's preventing them from earning like what they're worth, right? It's preventing them from earning, and, and it is, right? I don't think you can argue anything to the contrary. We've already talked about the timing and how, you know, maybe if this is Canada soccer of old, sometime in the early 2000s or the early 2010s, this is a different conversation because they're not as relevant in the global landscape. They're not as relevant in terms of players at the club level on both the men's and women's side. That's, that's changed though. Like these teams are notable. We've already talked about a lot of the reasons why. So there's a a real belief among players that like they're being shortchanged and that the organization that's over them has done that shortchanging. So the men's team brought that to light or that would have been 2022 ahead of the World Cup. That was the Panama thing. Talked about that already. Canceling that game cost them money. And now the women's side has talked about it as well. And and they're going to have to deal with some of the bleed over from all of this chaos and labor disputes and, and all of these things at the World Cup. And it, these are professionals, right? So they will be able to, I would imagine, put a lot of this aside and, and go out there and, and try to do their absolute best. There are other motivations here. But like being compensated is a, a real motivation. Like being treated in a way that that you feel valued and a part of something bigger and feel like everybody's moving in the same direction. That's a real consideration. That's stuff that smart organizations take care to cultivate those feelings. And Canada Soccer has, has very much not done that after a strike earlier this year for women's national team players, after consistent challenges with finances that we've talked all about right now, like this this group of women's national team players have been without a permanent labor deal, as far as I understand it, since the last one expired at the end of 2021. So it's been 18 months since then, and it seems like negotiations just have not gone anywhere. There is a deal, as far as I understand it, from talking to some people as well, there is a deal on the table, and it, it seems like one that, that could be favorable to the women. Uh, but like, we'll see what happens. We'll see. 
I want to be clear. There's a soccer element of all this that we're not really talking about in terms of the on-field stuff. Canada won the Olympics. I, I think they're a very, very long shot, even setting all this aside for the World Cup. Agreed. But, like, it's Canada soccer's job to position themselves as well as they can to go and compete at these yeah. kinds of things. And you cannot possibly make an argument that they have done that here regarding their women's national team. And, and I would extend that. I, I think the women's team is in a is in a much less advantageous position because on the men's side, obviously, their club deals are going to make them more money. So there is always that argument of like, well, do, do the men's national teams even need the funding from the Federation? Do they need that money? And even if they don't, the team itself does. And there was reporting uh, from their time in Vegas that they didn't have the staff they're used to. They didn't have some of the medical personnel and trainers that they need. So if you're a player who's training on this extended four-day camp because you don't have the kind of lengthy, gradual rollout of a camp because you don't have the funding for it, you don't now have the medical personnel in place to if you strain something, if you pull up with a cramp, you don't have the people there to help you. I think the reporting I had was even that they basically had like water and bananas, and that was sort of the the level of like immediate uh, like stuff they had on hand. Whereas on the U.S. side, you have uh, I'm gonna guess a, a pretty sizable buffet for breakfast. Body but armor, then yeah, steel. But exactly, you've got all of these different sponsors and agreements in place, so you have the staff, you have the products you need, the training you need, the medical personnel you need, and it's just gonna put you in a much stronger position yeah. if you're truly trying to compete. I think it was um, Steph Taylor that said on that, that podcast earlier this year when the US played Canada in the She Believes Cup, right? That, mm-hmm. that was a, a match yeah. that happened. And I think Steph was, was at that game. And the contrast actually on the pitch as the two teams were warming up between the US and Canada, where the US had all the, all the, this great number of staff and, and coaching staff and even kind of media staff down on the pitch as well or at the side of the pitch. And Canada had like four people on the pitch helping the players which just really is not i know the u.s has a stronger team than canada but canada's women's team and the u.s women's team are, are in you know similar realms to each other in terms of talent you know they, they're competitive against each other and for that contrast to then exist in the way that the two national teams are set up and i know the u.s had their own struggle with the u.s federation as Definitely. well we should we should acknowledge that but for those two teams and those two programs to be in such different positions now is just really not good enough Graham, I do have a good authority that a huge amount of the funding goes to replacing John Herdman's flesh-colored earbud. Uh, he, he's got to have a new one every single game, and it and it, it always has to be the right ear. He only buys right earbuds. Yeah. It's a very strange uh, thing they have in place, but it seems to be working. And it's ordered direct from Apple, uh, yes. Apple, I believe. They're, yes. they're paying so much money that Apple are trying to get that new headset out, and Tim Cook's like, Canada Soccer are paying, up, are paying us so much yeah. to do a flesh-colored AirPod that we have to focus on that first. It is, it is flesh-colored. I, I'd heard you guys talk about this on the on uh-huh. the, the show you guys had done recently, and I had never noticed that it was flesh-colored. I guess that's the point, man. You don't even notice. It's yeah. just hanging out there. You're not that's, even going to watch it. Except we all do notice. Yeah. It's like well, the main, it's like one of the idiosyncrasies of, of John Herdman is that he wears an AirPod. We all see it. You, the more I'm looking at it, the more uncomfortable I am. I don't I'm understand. Not, I'm not enjoying this. You guys didn't find the article about how of the $17 million allocated to the men's team, 15 goes into researching technology that allows the AirPod to match John Herdman's skin color. Maybe he doesn't uh, get a tan going on, and then it's going to match the paleness if he is well, on a on an island vacation and comes back a little bit more tan it matches uh-huh. that that's where they're investing their money right now and now they're needing to find more money to develop one for phil neville as well oh boy it's just oh, a nightmare exactly. <laughs> i forgot phil neville was there uh so maybe we should spend a little bit of time as we as we reach a conclusion talking about where things go from here and 
a big uh, part of, I think, things changing will be the government forcing Canadian soccer to, to uh, audit their books. Uh, we should note uh, that Canadian soccer issued a statement saying it has agreed to the minister's request. We'll undertake a financial compliance audit and governance review. So I think there will be more transparency. Uh, since we, we last talked about this, uh, Charmaine Crooks was elected Canada soccer interim president, replacing controversial Nick Bontis. Uh, she stood in front of uh, ministers and got a barrage of questions, some of which was professional about her job, some of which was about like, you don't seem very trustworthy thoughts, uh, which I think is genuinely a question she got and responded to pretty well. So it does feel like there is more accountability, more transparency there. Uh, and we've also talked about uh, DeVos, uh, Nick, uh, Jason DeVos, not Nick DeVos, Jason DeVos, uh, coming out and, and talking about bankruptcy, as we, as we said earlier. It does seem like part of that is with an eye towards being able to negate the CSB deal. That if you, I, I, I'm not an expert on bankruptcy law, certainly not on Canadian bankruptcy law, but there is some speculation that if you were to file for bankruptcy, you can then point to certain deals and transactions that are part and parcel of having to file for bankruptcy that aren't allowing you to have the financial stability you would need. And as part of a restructuring, you can then negate those deals and get new ones in place. And that may be part of what they're talking about and why he is sort of cagely saying, we need to look at what it gives us as options. I don't think it's necessarily about the money they have and going bankrupt. I think it's about how you restructure to get yourself in a stronger financial position. So basically, the plan might be that when CSB come knocking on the door, everyone in Canada soccer goes, quick, behind the sofa, turn the lights off, pretend yeah, nobody's exactly, home. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I don't see how that could possibly not work out. Uh, so that <laughs> may be one solution, the hide behind, hide behind the sofa and turn the lights out. Uh, but restructuring might be part of this. Uh, I think more government involvement and then maybe more government funding behind it will help them be able to, to run more efficiently. But I think that's the other big thing is that because of all of these different sideshows and distractions, they aren't able to function the way they need to, to be a modern federation that is helping yeah. their national teams. Uh, another good example of that, DeVos was talking about how uh, they missed the opportunity to play Saudi Arabia and Korea on um, the men's team in September's international window. Uh, the, the Saudis offering 500000 in match fees. Uh, and instead, Mexico jumped in and took that because that was when Bontis was stepping down. There was the, the new uh, interim president being appointed, and they didn't feel like they could make sort of decisive action about the future of the federation at that time. But you see how this instability and lack of clarity bleeds into so many different other aspects of soccer in Canada that I think getting them on a, on a solid footing, however you can do that, to then be able to make smarter, more forward-thinking uh, changes and decisions is probably the best way forward. And then we'll find out if six months from now we're back having another big thing conversation about how it's yeah. even worse in Canada. Yeah. Hopefully not. There are there are a lot of problems even that that sort of span beyond what we've talked about already. My understanding is that there's a, a general desire, and I think this mostly tracks when you go back and look at how Canada has approached international windows where they can go out and schedule friendlies. There's a desire to play those games away from Canada, partially because the European players might not want to travel back across, and, and there is maybe some catering that needs to be done to those players. But the fact that those friendlies aren't in Canada limits the amount of revenue that you can get. And Taylor, you mentioned, I hadn't read that about the Saudi Arabia potential friendly that that may have been lucrative for Canada. I don't know if that how that would compare to hosting a game in Toronto or something like that. But generally speaking, Canada 
don't seem super excited about hosting friendlies on their own because of all of those challenges, which can limit some of their revenue opportunities. There's also the fact that like, as their as their teams start to become bigger and bigger players, and, and this is mostly on the men's side because the women's side has been a, a big player. As the men's side at least continues to to be in higher stake situations like World Cup qualifying ahead of 2022, where they are topping the table by the end of the Ocho, like they're on top, they they were able to qualify for the World Cup. Like Canada soccer kind of went all out and trying to support them along their way, and that costs a lot of money. And now for all the reasons that we've discussed they can't just go around spending willy-nilly because they have caps, at least on this part of their ability to generate revenue. Like the cap is there. They know, at least in terms of the deal with CSB, how much is coming in and it makes it very hard for them to consistently allocate you know, high level resources to all of these things. There are just so many challenges, like so many challenges that they're having to deal with. A lot of them come from incompetence on their own. It is, it's difficult to imagine things getting better overnight. And it's also difficult to imagine things getting better without some larger sweeping changes inside of Canada soccer. I think that the, the two things that Canada soccer needs needs to do are actually, in my opinion, pretty clear. It's just about how they get to that point. So the first one is they need to renegotiate this deal with, with yeah, Canadian soccer business. Now that might come through pr- parliamentary pressure, um, that might be the thing that that opens it up again, and and also an acknowledgement from CSB that if things continue like this, maybe they won't have a national federation to have a deal with the bankruptcy threat. And the second thing, and this is related to Joe, you saying board members not recognising or not knowing who Alfonso Davis was as a seventeen or eighteen year old, and it, it also speaks to what feels like a, a national federation that has been left behind by its own national teams, and I think people would be shocked how small federations national federations are i remember um walking into hamden park when i worked with uh, with stv and i was i was going to do an interview for the news or something there and hamden park is a little bit unique at that time it had the two league bodies in there and also the national federation and the scottish fa room was a room and i was led into this room a big room i must i, I might say but nonetheless it's a single room with a couple conference rooms off of it and i was told right this is the scottish fa and there was about 10 people in that room at, at that time now the sfa is not the biggest national federation in the world but federations are generally small and those people working within those federations need to be across things. They need to be familiar with the modern game. And from what I have read, the way this deal was struck, the, the fact Joe, that Joe's anecdote about them not knowing who Alfonso Davis is and not knowing their own development landscape, it feels like Canada Soccer needs to reform to modernise as well as a, as a federation. It's not purely about money. It's not purely about money, but money definitely also a part. Also Don't helps. just hide behind the the, <laughs> the sofa. That's uh, not going to get the job done. Uh, so it, I, I think if we're concluding here, it doesn't feel to me like things are like on the path to being resolved. As I understand it, it feels like there's a lot more work to be done. But I think there is more of a spotlight on the situation. And I think there will continue to be uh, with the women's team at the World Cup and and what sort of maybe protests or organized responses we see there, how much they're talking about the lack of transparency or funding or support from the Federation uh, and what happens with the men's team going forward. If we don't see them start hosting more friendlies, I do think there is a financial component there where if you want to host top tier opposition, you end up having to pay them to come play. And then you have to sell a lot of tickets at a high price point to be able to break even on that one. I think there are a lot of obstacles to 
uh, getting the funding such as it needs to be. But I think the lack of transparency and the lack of just sort of information provided about how things are working, maybe that's too much to ask for a large organization from an individual. Uh, but I think it would go a long way towards helping people understand what the dilemma is that they face and how to go about fixing it. Uh, perhaps that's pie in the sky. But that's where I am on the situation at present. Uh, gentlemen, Joe, anything else uh, you wanted to add on this one before we call this one big thing? I feel like there's a whole opportunity to do more, you know, Canadian stereotypes and accents, mm -hmm. but I think I've done probably too much of that already. So I'll, I'll just say that I'm good. All Maple right. Maple syrup. There we go. Just <laughs> had to blow one out. Nice one, Graham. Nice. Uh, well, Gra well, Graham Ruffin, thank, thank you for that very important inclusion here at the end, uh, but also for all the information you provided today. Thank you, Taylor Otwell. Joe Lowry, thank you, my friend. Uh, always lovely to talk to you, uh, especially after the United States has just won uh, pretty comprehensively. Joe, that changes everything, right, for the U.S. and the Gold Cup? And not only did they beat St. Kitts, Taylor, but they also beat Nevis as well. And I think that is <laughs> that is a truly, truly impressive statement. Oh, man. Watching that game last night with my wife, who was like, are they just making up countries to play in this thing? And I was like, I, no, but I get, I get where you're coming from. Uh, I guess Caribbean geography is not a, a strong suit of most American school children. Uh, on that note, uh, thank you all so much for listening to us talk about Canada and Canadian soccer. Uh, thank you so much for supporting us this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.